0: Our reading today is James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed, and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. The word of the lord
1: it's a pity we don't have many worship songs about that passage Uh, the bible is a great book i'm convinced of that Uh, otherwise i wouldn't be doing what i do and in the bible you will find lots of different kinds of teaching And one of the things that the Bible does give us is wisdom literature. Uh, The most obvious place you can go for wisdom literature is, of course, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Now, if you've never read Proverbs before, I recommend you do. Uh, It's one of the best ways in which you can grow in wisdom. Proverbs are meant to be read together in a community. They are supposed to be kind of debated and discussed together so we can grow together in wisdom. And when you sit down and look at the book of Proverbs, you'll see that it covers a whole range of different topics about life. It tells you how to spend your time, what you should do with your money, what to look for in a spouse and so on. But the topic it talks about more than any other, apart from wisdom itself, is how we use words. How we are to control our tongue. In the New Testament, we also have some literature books and the the book of James is considered to to be a New Testament wisdom book. And just like the Proverbs, James covers the way we use words in quite some detail. And today, as we look at the next uh, of our heart sermons in our Head, Heart, Hands and Holy Worship service, uh, we can be tempted to just jump into what James says here, but before we do that, before we begin to explore what he says, we actually have to understand where this passage fits within James as a book. It's not just some disembodied teaching devoid of context. We, we actually have to look at um, what happens around this text for us to understand what James is saying in context. So his teaching about taming the tongue comes directly after him uh, discussing faith and works. James is famously the book in the New Testament that tells us that uh, faith without works is dead. James has spent quite a bit of time underscoring the fact that if you have faith, If you believe in Jesus, then your life will look different. If your life isn't different because of your relationship with Christ, then, James says, your faith is dead. It is a kind of faith similar to that which the demons have. They believe that God exists and they shudder. And so if your faith doesn't do anything, it's not a real and living faith. Your faith in Christ should do something. And then he starts talking about what does that look like in practice. And the first thing he tackles is the practical application of this doctrine that faith is expressed through works. The first thing he talks about is that the tongue should be tamed. That's where we are in the book of James, and that will become important a little bit later. So now let's dive in and see what God, through the Apostle James, has to say about how we use our tongue. And the first thing we learn is that the tongue is powerful. James here gives us a range of different pictures to demonstrate how powerful the way we use words is. The first picture is that of a rudder on a ship. He says, consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a small uh, rudder which uh, the will of the pilot or the captain directs. He also says, so too the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. A ship, even in those days, was a relatively big vessel. A ship is different from a boat. A boat is kind of small, a ship is kind of big. And this whole thing is controlled by a tiny rudder. Now something I discovered in the course of researching this is that a rudder today is designed to be about 1.5 to 2% of the size of a ship's hull. That is, 98% of the ship that interacts with the water, so the hull, 98% that's in touch with the water isn't the rudder. It's only 2% that determines which way the ship goes. Now, this isn't that relevant, and we shouldn't jump to too many conclusions, but it's interesting to me that the length of a human tongue is about 4% to the size of a human, so you could say that our tongue is twice as powerful as the rudder of a ship. Look, the point is, in the same way as the rudder of a ship steers the whole thing, so too the tongue has tremendous power to direct and shape the course of a person's life. It is a powerful thing. It is a destructive thing in its power. He says, James says, though, uh, in, in verse 5, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. That's the power of the way in which we use words. It is like a tiny flame that can burn down a whole forest. The tongue has in itself the power, though it is small, to steer the whole body and the outcome of someone's life, and though it is small, it has the power to be kind of self-propelling destruction. Like fire, our words can start small but quickly snowball into something that is immense and as destructive as a forest fire that consumes and destroys. But we know this, don't we? We know that our words have power. The shape of our history is largely determined more by words than by guns. The pen truly is more mighty than the sword. I mean, just consider the way in which our words have shaped the history of our world. Uh, The greatest speeches in history have shaped the way our society has formed. Consider, um, uh, Consider this. This is from a speech. I say to you today, my friends, that even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream, a dream that is deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of the creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. These are words from Martin Luther King which shaped the trajectory and changed the course of American history. Or consider Winston Churchill... We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and on the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We will fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them on the landing grounds. We shall fight them in the fields and in the streets. And we shall fight them in the hills. And we shall never surrender. Words which stirred up a nation that ultimately led to the defeat of Germany and the Axis powers in World War II. Words have great power for good, but words have great power for evil. One of the greatest orators of the 20th century century was Adolf Hitler. The way in which we use words shapes our times even today. Consider the creed of our nation, there is no truth but the truth that you make up for yourself. Consider the biblical distortion through the change of the meaning of words which is the hallmark of our society today, that love is love. We can use words for good or for great evil. The question that we should ask is, can we use words for great good or great evil? The book of James responds with the timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Words are powerful. The tongue is powerful. But where does its power come from? Because the tongue is not only powerful, its power comes from the fact that it is spiritual. Why is it that our tongues are so powerful? It is because our ability to speak is a supernatural gift. Our ability to speak is part of our image-bearing nature, something that is unique to humans. While it is true that animals can communicate in, in some way, speaking is God's chosen method of doing stuff, and it is uniquely human. Our ability to speak is a supernatural gift. It's just so common that we think of it as natural. But all, uh, like all supernatural things, our words have the power to do something on a spiritual level. Consider this. I put it to you that our words do something on a spiritual level. There is something about saying something, that, makes, that brings it into reality. We know this from experience. There are things which may be true, but that aren't really true until we verbally say them. If you are dating someone, and the pro- relationship is progressing really well, you might love the other person, but in some ways that love is not real until you say it to the other person. This afternoon I'm uh, I'm solemnising a a, a marriage uh, and it's not until the couple say, I do, that their marriage is in a sense real. Our words do stuff. It's not often until you say, I forgive you, that the forgiveness is real and experienced. Our words do stuff on a spiritual level. We see this in Jesus' own ministry too. It is not until Jesus says to the paralytic man, get up and walk, that he actually can get up and walk. It is on the cross that Jesus prays that God would forgive the people because they don't know what they're doing. Why is he saying it out loud? Could it be that the process of forgiveness involved Jesus interceding for people on their behalf, verbally before God, which is something the Bible tells us that Jesus does? Why is it that Jesus cries out verbally that God had forsaken him? Why is it that Jesus refuses to die until such a time as when he says, it is finished? Why is it that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on on God's people at Pentecost um, is accompanied with with the sign that they can speak powerfully words that glorify God and tell the Gospel story? For that matter, why is it that Jesus is called the Word of God? And when God creates the world... Why is it that he does so by speaking it into existence? And why is it that at the end of the book of Revelation, it is Jesus that says, look, I am making everything new, even while everything is being made new? It is because words have spiritual power. They are a dynamic thing that is uniquely human because of our image-bearing nature. And it is precisely because words are spiritual that make them so dangerous. Because we can either live up to our image-bearing nature in the way we use words, or we can destroy with the way we use words. Consider, words are one of the only places where we can truly create something. Have you ever considered that you can bring life and build stuff and shape things through your words? This is part of our redemption. Our words can be used to build and shape and order just like Jesus does. Obviously, to a lesser degree, we're not God. But nevertheless, our words can build up and create, almost in a sense, out of nothing, like God. Because our words have spiritual power. I mean, the Bible itself teaches us how we are to use God's word. We read that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. What does it say? It says all Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. What is teaching but speaking God's word in order to become spiritually mature? And what is rebuking but speaking God's word in order to pull someone back from a spiritually dangerous and sinful path? And what is correcting but speaking God's word to each other in a way that sharpens our understanding of the faith? And what is training in righteousness other than speaking God's word to one another to help equip us in a way to live like God wants us to live? In each instance, the word is used by the church to build up and to shape and to bring order. Spiritual actions are accomplished by the word. So my friends, how do you use your words? Do they shape and build and encourage? Do they train up? Do they craft someone's spiritual life according to God's will? Are they being used to redeem? Are you speaking like Jesus? Because the opposite is also true. Our words have spiritual power to commit evil. And when we destroy, we mirror Satan, actually. Think about the first evil that came into the world. What happened there? It was Satan that twisted God's word. It is exactly... God's good and life-giving, life-protecting word that the serpent attacked. Did God really say? Doubting God's word. Our words can used to destroy in a plethora of different ways. The most obvious way is saying hurtful things to someone, using your words to tear them down. And if you've been alive for any amount of time on earth, you have felt the sting of someone else's words. And the song says that, um, or the saying goes that, you know, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but it's actually the words that will kill you. It will kill your spirit. Have you seen someone use these words this way? Yes, you have. Have you felt the destructive power as someone has wielded their whip through their tongue? Will you do the same? Will you use this God given supernatural gift that has spiritual power to build up? Or will you use it to break down? Will you use it like Jesus to heal? Or like Satan to kill? Our words have power precisely because they are spiritual. So our tongues, we've seen, our tongues are powerful. Our tongues are powerful precisely because they're spiritual. But the point that James is making is that our tongue is diagnostic. Let me tell you what I mean. Read from verse 7. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile and fish has been tamed, is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same oak opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can, salt water, uh, neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Do you see what James is saying here? He's saying that the way in which you use words shows what's really going on deep inside your heart. Now we've seen that our words are a divine gift. We speak because we are made in the image of God. Our words are power because we are God's image bearers. And like the rest of us, our words can be used to, uh, to either worship God or, uh, and act like Jesus, or they can be used like Satan to break and tear down. And because of that, our words show us what's going on in our hearts. We're either bearing God's image or distorting it. So consider the last week, the things you have said about yourself, to yourself or to others things you have said to, to and about other people how do these things stack up against your faith and the privileged position you have as God's child how do your words reveal your heart The problem is that all of us have a deep heart issue. And our hearts are not pure. James says the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness and it's placed amongst our members. It stains the whole body and sets the course of life on fire. It itself is set on fire by hell. That's what you have in your heart. The evil we can achieve with our tongues is remarkable and it looks a lot like what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Perhaps it is getting someone to doubt God and his good word. Perhaps it is spreading false information or lies. Perhaps it is hate speech or gaslighting or twisting the truth. Perhaps it is gossip or, uh, or any other ways in which you use words to destroy things. But our tongues reveal what go in our heart. What is the character of your speech? How do you talk about people and how do you talk about yourselves? What are the things you say about others and what are the things you say about yourself, even in your self-dialogue? If you are like me, then what you say is an unholy mix of good and bad. Hmm? That's exactly James's point. That's exactly his point. We are hopelessly stuffed. Because the tongue diagnoses our wicked and evil hearts. And James talks about this like, like being a little boat tossed aside by every wind of, of change. We have this faith, this true beautiful thing that is alive and well and should result in our lives having been changed. But the reality is friends, the way in which we use our words reveals just how far we still have to go. What we say to others reveals that we are double-minded. That we are a spring that produces sweet water and salt water all at the same time. That we are a fig tree that produces olives, a person whose mouth both blesses and curses. Yes, we have a duty to control our tongues because it is so powerful and it is so spiritual and it can build up and it can destroy. We should be like the ship captains who control where the ship goes as its rider steers the ship. We should be like the rider that controls the horse through the bit, but we can't. No human, tongue, uh, no human can tame the tongue. And so what our words really do is they hold up a mirror to us and they say, look, And it condemns us. James is saying, do you want to know who you really are? Then consider your words. And you will soon realize how much more like Satan you are than how much you are like Jesus. You have a duty to control your tongue. But you can't. And in our passage, he does not resolve the tension. He leaves us kind of like Paul does in Romans chapter 7, uh, where he says in verse 15, For I don't understand what I'm doing, because I, practice what I, uh, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. Um, so, I, so now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For I desire to do what is good, and that desire is with me, but I have no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now if I do what I don't want to do, I am no longer the one who does it, but the sin, sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For, my, for in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the sin that is in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? James might ask the same thing. Who will rescue me from this tongue of, of hell? Of death Paul concludes though but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who will rescue us from this body of death who will rescue me from a heart that produces all kinds of evil all the time shown through the way in which I use words thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that's the point you cannot tame your tongue I cannot tame my tongue. Humans cannot tame our tongues, but God can. Through his Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus for those that belong to him. And God does. Through his Holy Spirit in Christ for all those that belong to him. We failed to use words to build one another up. And we hurt one another with evil and twisted speech, but God loves us anyway. He died for us on the cross in Jesus Christ while we were still sinners, while our tongues were still wicked, set on fire by hell. God loves us like a spouse loves their partner, flaws and all. And because of his great love for us, we will over time more and more be holy in what we say. Because just like in a husband and wife relationship, the love God has for us in Christ Jesus ultimately captures our hearts. And the more we are captured by Christ, the more our hearts will be changed, and the more our hearts will be changed the more our tongues and our speech will be under control. So the truth of the matter is this, friends. The more you love Jesus, the more you will look like him, and the more you will be able to control your tongue in response to the great love he has for you. So if you want to be in control of your tongue, if you want to build up and not destroy as your wicked heart wants, then look again to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will help us really see who we are, that we are far worse than we ever dared imagine, but that you love us far more than we ever dared hope. And as we consider this great love, Lord, we pray particularly this morning, for the way in which we use our words. We know that in our own will we cannot tame our tongue, but that there is great victory for us because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. And as his Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, we become more and more like him, even in the way in which we use words. So may we not fail, uh, to recognise our duty in saying things like, that's just who I am, that's just the way I say things. But may we, in your Holy Spirit, or through your Holy Spirit, consider the way we use words, that we might build up and not tear down, that we might construct and not destruct, in the power of your Holy Spirit, because we belong to you as your children. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.